Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something. The Meltzer 5 Star Project is still going, beyond a full month worth of episodes at this point, but the Ospreyathon has finally ended, and we're into a new match with new participants. And by we, I mean myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co-host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host... Simon Cross... And Simon, this is a special one as far as the Melts 5 stars go for us. This is the first time that either of us, one or the other, has been live and in person in the presence of a match that Dave Melts has rated 5 stars or higher. And since it was yourself, and because you do this in every other episode, it might as well be you that introduces this episode's match. What match are we talking about today, Simon? Seamless there, Lorcan. Seamless. We are talking about a match that took place at WWE Clash of the Castle. Clash at the Castle. You went to the bloody thing. Not Clash of the Castle. Ah. Yeah, I'd had some Guinnesses. I'd had some Guinnesses. It's fine. Clash at the Castle. And it is between Gunther and Sheamus for the Intercontinental Championship. Just thinking, how many Intercontinental title matches have had five stars? I mean, well, to be fair, how many WWE matches have had five stars? The only Intercontinental title match before this I can think of is Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramona, WrestleMania 10. Mm. We've done an alternative for the IC title. We did the Bulldog. Oh, yes, of course, my favourite match of all time. Which is obviously the spiritual... It's weird, because even though that was for the Intercontinental Championship, the main event of this card was its spiritual successor. Because this isn't like a Englishman or a even a Britishman taking part. It's Ireland versus Austria. That will surprise some people with a uh, little knowledge of <laughs> the history of these surrounding island regions. Yeah, you don't want to be saying that to an Irishman. Yeah. Well, I was watching. I saw a YouTube clip the other day of someone on um, CNBC, which is like NBC News is equivalent of. The money channel, you know, the business channel, the Wall Streets. You know, only like 10,000 people watch it, but they're the richest people in the world. So it, you know, it doesn't matter. And they were talking to an Irish politician about the euro, I think. And the guy was baffled. The host was baffled as to why he was in the euro and why he didn't have the British pound. Oh, God. It's like, do you want to go into all that? Because it will need more than this five minute segment. Yeah. Or you could sum it up as... They're a bunch of c- It can either be short and unbroadcastable, or it can be long. Or long and unbroadcastable. <laughs> well, we've already had one of our first diversions. I actually was thinking that this, this might be one of the longer episodes. This is one where I wanted to ask you about the surrounding events. Okay, yeah. Because like, I, I, knew, I knew from the start I was not going to be able to afford to go to this. But were you like, when you heard the news, were you like, I need to get to this show, I want to get to this show, or was it, was there a triggering point? Yes. I knew from day one I wanted to go to this. What, the WWE event, day one? Oh, not that one. But no, it's just the fact that they were playing the Principality Stadium, which is where the Welsh national rugby team play. It's it's meant to hold 60,000 if you're all in the seats. It was the closest thing we've had to SummerSlam 92, where I was just over the age of one. This is a big deal for a man who's been to loads of, a fair few WWE TV tapings, including the one where you and I both attended Lorcan. I still feel the scars of that. (laughs) Yeah. Not much really happens in Britain from a WWE perspective, but this immediately felt different. So one of my friends who went to WrestleMania, I actually had to twist his arm to come along with me because he's, Defected more to AEW now, <laughs> and he did turn around actually during the event. And he was he afterwards he was like, "I'm glad you convinced me to go." I had another friend who wanted me to go as well, but unfortunately couldn't make it due to a wedding. Uh, he was gutted when he like he saw the dates, and he was the groom. 
Not quite, not quite, but not far off. Well, he was shagging the what? The bridesmaids. <laughs> yeah, it's always awkward when like the mistress. He's a wedding doesn't, crasher. Doesn't RSVP. <laughs> but yeah, I knew immediately I wanted to do it because. Had you been to the Principality Stadium before? No, no, I've never have. I've never been to Wales before. All of at it. all. I suppose you're Warwickshire and East Midlands, so it's a bit more of a journey for you. Yeah, yeah. Because I went to uni in Aberystwyth, and I've got a friend who's parents have a place in Llandudno, which is basically the only place I get to go on holiday. Mm. In fact, between the time of us recording this and it going out, I will have gone to there again. So I've got a fair amount of experience and love for Wales, which is the opposite of my dad, who hates the place. <laughs> he worked there for a couple of years, and he claims that the locals deliberately spoke Welsh around him. <laughs> it was a little bit, for, for those who don't know, it's the only other officially recognised language on the Isle, specifically of Great Britain. Not the British Isles, because then you can get into some Irish debate. Yeah, but the Scottish have their version of Gaelic as well. Yeah, and it's not officially, it's not on road signs, though. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, when you go to, to Wales, one of the few words of Welsh you will know by the end of it is Arath. Because mm. they like you driving slow on the roads in, in Wales for some reason. They do. And actually, also as well, Cardiff, uh, my mate whose family has the place in Llandudno, he studied in Cardiff. Oh, okay. So sometimes I go to Cardiff as well. I, I did a New Year's there once. I was in Cardiff as well when there was, it was back when that stadium was hosting all the FA Cup finals, all the big football matches that Wembley Stadium couldn't host at the time. Yeah. Because it was being torn down and built back up again. Instead of building a national stadium somewhere that the rest of the country can, you know, get to relatively reasonably, they felt, no, let's keep building it in this unreachable part of the overstuffed capital. I will defend it slightly, the Wembley decision, purely because it was on hallowed Wembley ground. Like, it's where we'd won the World Cup. It's, it's It had history. So did public floggings. You know, we <laughs> those Uh, I don't know. With our current government, give it give it a few years. I mean, now we do it on Twitter, to be fair. But, you know. There you are. It's just, like, emotionally violent as opposed to physically violent. Uh, I think some people would prefer the physicality. Yeah. I was So I was there, and it was after a championship playoff final. Because when I went to Cardiff train station, unknowingly I found myself in a line with a load of really happy i think it was watford fans yeah and really angry leeds fans with even genuinely two friends two leeds fans who seem to be in the same group briefly kicking off with one another right in front of me (laughs) not the biggest shock in the world considering it was leeds but you know still not what you want to uh experience when you just want to go home yeah, exactly. You just want to get on your overpriced train. So did you drive? Speaking of overpriced, did you drive and park or did you take the train or... We did not take the train. My friend did all the driving, thankfully. Very, like, it was one of the favours he... like. We, we cash in favours between each other and he volunteered for this. So my, my payback will come in terms of driving for that. And thankfully, the apartment in which we stayed at had a parking space right in the city centre. So we completely looked out. I'm going to segue to when... After I got the tickets, I had possibly my most stressful hotel booking experience trying to get a room in Cardiff for this. I remember going on to the ticket sale. I went to the WWE.com pre-sale and getting on being 6,000th in the queue, being like, ah, shit. Getting the tickets, we did cheap out a little bit, but and it was a little annoying to hear that tickets... By the time the event came round, because the event didn't sell out fully, they used a massive Wales flag to cover up one whole stand. Yeah, I did see that in pictures. Did that yeah. surprise you? So what was? Because they announced an attendance of sixty-two thousand, didn't they? Did you? Yeah, but they used the. They've got the floor seats, so I guess it levels. Yeah, was, I don't not, know. Not not fully. I don't know. All the stands, the free stands were packed, and the floor was packed. There wasn't like a patch but there seemed to be some decent space between like the blocks as well like you could have packed those in a bit more if you'd had this if you'd sold the tickets i feel yeah i, I haven't i've only sat floor seats for a house show but 
you, you don't want too many people on the it's floor. It's still super impressive. Yeah. Can't deny that. It's still once in a three-decade phenomenon. Yeah, but basically. fucking hell, the mainstream media seemed to take that as to mean WWE had literally not been here for the past 30 years. Only thing I ended up watching was... Um, I've seen small clips of the Ariel Helwani interview. Ariel, never make me do a list of British wrestlers again, Helwani. And also Triple H's appearance on This Morning. So you get to Cardiff, and was there a sense like it was almost like a mini WrestleMania in that there's just suddenly this... Because you've been to some WrestleManias as well. In one city, just suddenly this large contingent of wrestling fans... Were there many events around the place? Did you stay the night of the show, or did you arrive the night before the show, or what? Stay the night of the show. So we got there at, we got there pretty late actually, because there was a little bit of traffic getting in. So we got around. It was around about four o'clock. We got to the bar by the stadium, camped out in Tiny Rebel, where a lot of the Principality has like a street running parallel along it, which is chock full of bars. You got a Brewdog, several different like high end and mid end pubs. Tiny Rebel, which is like Wales' Brewdog, but on a smaller scale. And not quite as Jump the Sharky, in terms of how they treat them themselves. Did you say Tiny Rebel or Tidy Rebel? <laughs> tiny. Tiny. Should have called it Tidy. I met my friend I used to work with, uh, and his friends. One of whom was dressed like Cactus Jack. The costumes were insane. Did he know he was dressed as Cactus Jack? Yes. Because there are quite a lot of guys around the place that are dressed like at least Mick Foley. And don't necessarily know that they're dressed as Mick Foley. But not a lot of them have wrist tape. <laughs> I went outside at one point and one guy bought a steel chair with him. And uh, people were volunteering to get like chair shots to the head. And the guy... It wasn't a working shot. Let's leave it at that. So from Lance Storm to Rob Van Dam at Barely Legal 97 to Stevie Richards to JBL in his match with the Blue Meanie after ECW One Night Stand. Uh, if that's one to ten, where are we saying these chair shots would rank? That seven? Seven and a half? Whoa, Jesus. Like the, the, He could have put more stang. The, the best part is the guy sat back down on the beer bench after... Uh, like drank from his pint. I'm like, I've had a concussion. You don't want to be drinking on a concussion. <laughs> he didn't even do the hander. No, he took it raw. Fuck me. He took it Masato Tanaka style. Yeah, and then obviously there was like a wrestling match in the street. I know I've seen the clip of someone uh, getting Charles Robinson to counter pin in the middle of the street. Yeah. Weirdly, that's like the main street. That's not the street next to the bar. That that was him walking down like Cardiff's High Street. Now, uh, one thing I was going to say, between you purchasing the tickets and the event itself was Vince leaving his role and Triple H taking over. So do you think that led to a greater sense of excitement from you to see what the actual show would be like rather than just saying you went to a stadium show? You were like, this could be really good. So I've loosely followed WWE uh, uh, generally when Vince has been in charge. I've got a little bit more tighter with it. Now that Triple H is in charge, and knowing that that was coming up, I did have more excitement towards it, especially when a couple of the matches got announced. Like, these guys actually might get time to do things. That was the fascinating thing, because obviously this happened during the same weekend as All Out. And what was really interesting was watching the difference in the shows in so many ways, and one in particular was the matches. Because I believe that it was one pre-show match for Clash at the Castle. Yeah. Involving Alpha Academy and... Austin Theory. Yeah, it was like a six-man, wasn't it? Or something. Yeah, versus um, Street Profits and... I forget who the six-man was. (laughs) Doesn't matter. My point is, that whole show, in front of 60,000 people, is a seven-match card. So it seems very reminiscent of Triple H's policy towards the NXT takeovers, which were two-hour shows, five matches. Everyone gets time. Yeah, everyone gets time. Not everyone gets used. But I think the reason you can get away with that is that you can also not use some of those guys on the next pay-per-view because WWE have whatever premium live events. Because WWE put on at least, what, 14, 15 of those per year, I would say. Yeah, now you've got the Saudi ones, yeah. Whereas AEW, whilst they'll have bumper dynamite shows when it comes to pay-per-views, they're only doing four. 
And so I think Tony Khan does feel like he's on a bound to get as many of his people on the shows as possible. Stop signing people, Tony. You won't have this problem. Yes, but to be fair, they put on good matches, nearly all of them. It's just a case of exhaustion, really. I mean, I'd be curious, like, after you came out of the event in general, we'll get more to this match now as it goes on, what what, what do you think was the general buzz? Because obviously we did have the deflating... Drew McIntyre not winning the, the title, which does seem like it really got built up. And, you know, everyone was convinced when they played his original theme tune before his entrance that this was going to be the time. That was the moment where I started believing. In the pub beforehand, I'm like, nah. I said, like, someone's going to interfere. Obviously, the Usos can't really travel because of their DUIs. I thought it would be Sammy. But I was like, someone will interfere and, like, wreck it and then i did talk about solo sokoa but i I didn't think he was going to be there that night carrying cross would have been the logical one to think it would be anyone i thought if it's not going to happen here it won't happen until wrestlemania like this was the only one that seemed feasible because it was coming up to his two year anniversary of holding the title and i always thought that it would be vince that would want the belt to be involved if the wrestlemania main event was rock reigns and I thought Triple H wouldn't necessarily think that it would need that. And that you can spread the love a bit. Especially since Roman Reigns has taken fewer dates as well. So I thought, I mean, that's not really a problem. And actually, I think they're starting to play that into how they're trying to redefine the secondary titles now as well. So we'll also cover that. From what I understand, the whole Drew McIntyre singing and everything, he didn't know the cameras were still on. And they shouldn't have been on, but they just were. And so we were getting the equivalents of Austin going around or everyone trying to get The Undertaker to do the spin-a-rooney. But it's actually on live TV. Yeah. Semi-breaking character. So the feeling of there with the singing was just like initial confusion. And then like, we'll sing along with the songs. Especially when like Tyson Fury went for his like American Pie song, which... I know it's your thing, Tyson, but different worlds now. Different worlds. And the whole point of the show is that they're in the UK as well. Yeah. So singing American Pie. And then uh, it was awkward when he sung the song that uh, Drew didn't know. And then Drew had to go for, um, was it Wonder Wall or Don't Look Back in Anger? I have no idea. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it was Don't Look Back in Anger. Which Who sang Sweet Caroline? Tyson tried to start it, I think. But then one of the... Drew doesn't know the words, being a Scot. <laughs> exactly it was in wales drew scottish i don't think sweet caroline has the uh fervent love as, as in those regions belongs to us <laughs> i did wonder how much drew enjoyed the whole oh it's british and he's the british guy and all that you know but then i found out he sports rangers so i thought well maybe he's more okay with it than uh than i feared <laughs> Uh, that doesn't mean he is, just, you know, it increases the likelihood that he is. Well, to be fair, he, he did a lot of that work in ICW, so, like, the whole idea of, like, being a British wrestler on, like, the highest attended British wrestling show in, God knows, in, in 30 years. Yeah, but ICW is, like, the most Scottish thing since Rabsy Nesbitt. You take what you can get. Scotland, Britain, it is what it is. For now, anyway. <laughs> Uh, I think it was you who told me Murrayfield's not that far away from Edinburgh. Well, that's what I was saying, yeah. They could make this Clash at the Castle a more regular thing. And you could take it beyond the UK, because Croke Park is quite near a castle too. Yeah. Like, if you wanted to do it in the centre of London at the O2, you could cheat and call it Tumble at the Tower. Punch up at the Palace. There you go, yeah. Scrap at Stonehenge. Nah. (laughs) And so forth. (laughs) what i like about that that gives all the listeners an insight into who we are as people the fact that both of us want to have the last pun no i think they already know we're pricks (laughs) fair good lord we've preambled before but let's get into the match itself there was a lot of excitement going in i think there was a genuine sense that like this could be the best match of the whole weekend AEW and wwe and it is the only match of that weekend to get five stars from Meltzer. That doesn't mean jack shit, in all honesty, is increasingly how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> it's... The consensus seems to be it was right up there, if not at the top of the matches. But even people who aren't Sheamus fans have had to concede. I heard a good quote within the last week from the artist formerly known as King Ross, Ross Twellell, is like, if you use Meltzer as a TV guide to go, oh, I like this, this might be good. 
and then you watch the match. That's fine. But the people who define their like go this, I have to like this match because he said we, we've covered this ad infinitum now. It can almost get monocultural as well, especially since it's nearly always of like one or two promotions. And as we were saying, this is what the seventh main roster WWE match to get five stars from Meltz. Even though it's got, I'm going to use that again, the artist formerly known as Volta in it, this match sticks out like a sore thumb in the list because it's WWE. Well, to be fair, only one of Volta's matches that have been given five stars by Meltz took place outside of the WWE, and that was in PWG, which is another one of Meltz's preferred locations. He'd have given it five stars if it was in Reseda. Oh, the Reseda Dome. Yeah, not there anymore. All the other matches that he had, as I've marked uh, on this feed, they are listed as WWE shows. Yeah, in my head I've done the separation between... And one of them had been in Cardiff already. Yes, albeit a much smaller arena. Not much, well, yeah, I guess smaller, but it depends how you define much smaller in the far as everything's smaller, but, you know, <laughs> compared to a stadium. <laughs> I feel you've said that to a woman before now. Well, yeah, to to warn her for what she'll see in the future once we're done. <laughs> ah, boing flip like that. Yeah. Don't get the wrong idea now. <laughs> <laughs> that tombstone's just been reversed. Mm. So you were watching whilst we were doing it, okay. I don't think you've got the back strength for that. We've gone massively off course. You can call that a tombstone. It's not what people usually call it. But, you know. <laughs> I got my first real six string. Anyway. Hey. <laughs> Anywho, the match itself. So I do want to like nip back to talking to the wrestling fans before. A lot of people didn't think this one was going to happen because they thought Drew was going to win. So they thought they thought Sheamus was going to lose because Drew was going to get the big send home and they weren't going to do two happy endings. So a lot of people... I didn't have the same feeling like I did for the Drew match where everyone was like, oh, it could happen! And that kind of soured things, I guess. And having watched the match back, you can tell the crowd are like, Oh, this, this is just like an uncomfortable beatdown in, in most parts. But he, well, he made, this match. But he made it work. This is yeah. like one of the best babyface performances I've seen in quite some time. Well, I mean, I've always been a Sheamus fan. Well, maybe not when he first started on the WWE because he got pushed to the moon far too quickly. Obviously, he won the WWE title. You know, he's one of those ones that Vince just suddenly dumps the title on and thinks that that made them... You know, JBL before, Jinder Mahal afterwards. Kind of worked for JBL for a bit. JBL was the one it worked the most, but that was the one that they went with the most consistently. JBL would have worked perfectly if they'd just given him a year of growing into that moment. Not just, you know, you lose a four-way tag team match at WrestleMania 20 and suddenly you're beating Eddie for the title two months later. Where everyone's already staring at you like, why have you cut your hair? Well, to be fair, he cut his hair several years before then. Uh, I suppose. But talking about people who've changed their image, Gunther, which I, you know, I, it's one of those, it's another one of those ones where just because WWE changes the name doesn't mean it's a worse name change or it means anything, you know. Well, if you look at two names in isolation, if you're a wrestler, and you can either be called Gunther. Or Walter. I think you'd take Gunther. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. It's more just, I don't like change! Well, <laughs> yeah, you know people are set in their ways. When when it was the whole Gunther start thing, I think that, that, that died a death very quickly, thankfully. There were things about the Gunther repackaging that I didn't... Again, I wasn't furious about it. I thought... A lot of people have said by losing so much weight, in many ways he's lost what made him special. I don't fully agree with that. But I also can see sometimes where they're coming from. But, well, this was a real test of that theory, I suppose. Because the whole point of of Walter when he was on the independent scene was, you know, his nickname as the final boss. There was that yeah. sense that he was the top of that of the independent scene, quite similar to how Samoa Joe was perceived 
pre him signing with TNA when he was the Ring of Honor champion and mm. he would go around other indies during that time. Because he was so much bigger than pretty much everyone else around him. He's six foot three, I think, by the looks of it. And he had that weight of a heavyweight. But it was like functional weight. That was the way I'd always described it as the reason he just carried extra fat was because it helped him in the ring. It wasn't because he was in bad shape. He wasn't. By him slimming down and entering the land of the giants, I suppose, as the WWE has always been called. It's less so that now, but it's still the average height of that roster will probably be a fair few inches taller than AEW's or any independent scene. Especially now Strowman's resigned. Yes, of course. The, the whole notion of him, you you know, you look at him when he's against Tyler Bates, when he's against Zack Sabre Jr., when he's against Ilya Dragunov, he's able to play the big bully because he is bigger than them, stronger than them, heavier than them, and he smothers them and controls them. When you put him up against Sheamus, Sheamus is a little bit taller, and now because Gunther's lost the weight, he is heavier because he has more muscle mass compared. So... Going in, can Gunther still convincingly be the bullying heel who overwhelms the babyface and they have to fight from underneath and will themselves back into the match? And then there's the battle at the end to see if can they can do the wherewithal or will Gunther still be able to snuff them out at the end? I think this match is an example that you can do it. Well, yes, that's what I'm saying. That's why that's this was the sign that you can. That even though... Sheamus is at least his physical equal, arguably his physical superior. You still felt, as the match progressed, that Gunther was the bullying heel mm. and Sheamus was trying to find a way into it. Mm. But it, but it also, I think, was significant because when it opens, oftentimes when the babyface is getting their shine at the start, it's them sticking and moving and trying to stay away from him and using their speed. Whereas at this point, as it always been with Gunther Sheamus standoffs, as represented as well by their teammates brawling around each other whilst they were standing still or being their, you know, their avatars in matches in the build-up. I think Butch, didn't Butch beat Ludwig in a singles match or something? On the Smackdown before this show, yeah. And then they had the six-man afterwards with the uh, returning, previously Fabian Eichner, now, what was it, Giovanni... Oh, Giovanni da Vinci or something like that. Da, something, not yeah. not not Rabisi. That was an act. That's the that's a Hollywood actor. Yeah, Phoebe's brother <clears throat> and friends. That's his um, NXT two point name that he's carried over. Yes, and to be fair, it is it was confusing that this Italian had a name like Fabian Eichner. It was, yeah. it was a little bit odd. Obviously, and then we get you know Ilya Dragunov as well. It's like it's all it's this melting pot. I mean, it's a very pale melting pot, but it's still a melting pot. Sheamus is sort of matching him hit for hit, punch for punch. So it's like it's a new challenge for Gunther as well. But then Gunther, the key moment is, it's almost Okada-esque actually, where Okada always, one of the big moves that he would usually utilise at some point early on in the match is when he gets his opponent up in the corner and then drop kicks them, sending them to the outside. In this instance, it was Sheamus... Pulling himself up to the top rope. Yep. And Gunther catching him and hitting him with a really hard slap across the face that sends him to the outside. And that's when the extended period of him beating down. Now, one of the reasons I think that Sheamus, despite his size, was able to elicit sympathy is through the nature of Gunther's way of wrestling, as was the case with Ilya Dragunov. Yes. How far were you from the ring? Quite far. How loud were the hits? Could you hear them? Yeah. And could you perceive visually the toll it was taking? I mean, to be fair, Gunther had his fair share of marks and cuts and everything by the end of it. But Seamus, you know, it was like like my corned beef sandwich by the end of it. I think like within like five minutes, Corey Graves makes that shout that he looks like hamburger meat. To answer the question, I was quite far back. But yes, you could still feel the like the visceral physicality of it all. Me and Danny, my my mate, properly winced at least three or four times. Like at the start, even like there were like ooh and groans. Like and and you could feel the whole arena feel that we weren't all interconnected. But there was all those moments where you're just like oh ooh. What was the reaction of the crowd in general? I mean, you know, I've, I've always had my issues with wrestling crowds and British wrestling crowds 
an over-reliance on chanting, making it about themselves. There's one part towards the early stages where Gunther body slams Seamus onto the ring steps. Yeah. And at that time, the crowd is chanting Walter, or at least a segment of the crowd is chanting Walter. Yeah, you know. Again, an example of how it's a new day, Michael Cole actually acknowledging that chant and saying what the fans were doing there, referencing Gunther's past. Some of Vince would have liked, fucking Jesus, he wouldn't have two ears still by the time Vince was done with him, if he'd have said that. It's already lost a working ear because of Vince. I don't think it helped matters, but he has to wear hearing aids now. Wow, okay. But again, he was a war correspondent as well, so let's not pin it all on Vince. Although, you know, if he said you've been suffering from PTSD... <laughs> it could be either. <laughs> it will take him a while to figure out where, what it's from. The chanting-wise, because I was at the back, we only got the chants that caught on. So we, we heard the... I think I did hear the Volta one, but only very faintly. What was the sense around you? Were people getting uncomfortable? Were people loving it? Were people not quite sure how to react to it? Because to a lot of people in the crowd, this is probably still short in their experiences with what Gunther... Or is it mostly smarky crowd that you that was at that show? No, no. no. In front of me was um, a couple of parents who took their young son. What was their reaction during the show? Did this elicit a different kind of response from them? No, not not really. They, they, they sort of went along with it. Obviously, the son was like more into it. But to answer your question like, for the crowd overall, because there was such a blend, in fact, one of my friends who doesn't like wrestling went along because like, someone had a spare ticket. And he's like, it's something to do. It was, it was discomfort. It was like a quiet, hushed discomfort most people felt throughout the match until the beats of the bell run like, got kicked. Uh, broke out and then obviously we started to believe that Seamus was rallying and maybe this was it but during that period between him getting knocked off the turnbuckle and him successfully hitting the beats again and again and again yeah just just hush discomfort wow that's really interesting because I, I wonder if that's because they don't know what how to react to this kind of match that they're ultimately getting re-educated because this sort of match would not have happened under Vince. Not exactly like this. I don't think he wouldn't have been a million miles away from it. Vince apparently is a fan of Gunther. Was a fan of Gunther. Liked how he presented himself. I think it's maybe more just the pace. It's not quite on that level. But like one of the notes I made is. This is maybe as close as we're ever going to get. To a WWE version of a Tomohiro Ishii Katsuyori Shibata match. It's not exactly like that. And some of it, I think, maybe depending on how you like your wrestling, makes more sense. Because it's not moments where they're just standing there inviting on being hit. They're just both trying to batter each other. And they know to hit them, they're going to leave themselves open to be hit, essentially. But there's not that extended period of one of them saying, come on, give me more, and just standing there waiting for a chop. Like, they're engaging in slaps and hits. There's a moment where Seamus does sort of briefly no-sell, get up and get angry at Gunther. But again, it's not like an Ishii type of no-sell. At least I didn't think it was that, anyway. I just checked something there about another factor why maybe the crowd were a little bit quiet. Uh, I had I misremembered, so it's a good thing I had checked, the match order. This came directly after the women's six-person tag match where obviously chanting was going and going and going. So the crowd had chanted for a long time before this match. Yeah. The whole Bailey stuff. So maybe that was a factor as to why it was a bit hushed, because everyone was like, whoo, <laughs> knackered. Also, one of the things that Triple H seems keen to do with Gunther, and with this match in, as well, is to re-establish the Intercontinental title. I mean, they literally have Michael Cole say on commentary, it's the workhorse title. Again, just... Michael Cole saying these things that you never used to hear him say. And I do like that idea that pointing out that the difference between being the Intercontinental Champion as opposed to being the World Champion is that the defences are much more frequent against a wider variety of opponents. And I do like that as a way of describing... And that's how you can claim a workhorse in a kayfabe sense of the word as well as a shoot sense, sense of, of the word. word yeah yeah to to use terms that would drive half the wrestlers crazy if they heard us saying it but you know what i mean yeah so yeah i think what triple h is giving them is more freedom to be themselves ultimately and that 
Seamus, I think one of the reasons Seamus doesn't get the love that he, not love, but he doesn't get the praise that he deserves is that he's always worked within the WWE system. And has always been, the impression from the start was he was a bit of a corporate shill stooge. You know, the stories were that he turned up at a WWE show that he wasn't booked for because that would make him look good because he was like going above and beyond. It's like my job, there are people that make sure to stay in the office late hours so that people see them staying late hours that kind of thing the key difference is it's being seen to be doing the extra stuff and actually doing the extra stuff i do think seamus falls into the latter category there well and the other thing was that he was also there was rumors that he was triple h's workout buddy yes he that that is true yeah i mean now he does his whole own workout youtube channel doesn't Celtic he? warrior workouts yeah 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 so he's a fitness enthusiast anyway mm. a lot of people thought at the time when he started that channel that was going to be his segue because there were talks two years ago of his impending retirement well the guy's earned it yeah he's been a full-time member of the wwe's main roster since at least 2009 so this is 13 years into it yeah and he's won every title except, annoyingly, this one. Well, that's where you got. That's where you assume a rematch down the line goes. The way I would book it was have, you know, fancy booking bullshit. The way I would do it was he would have a second match. He'd lose that match again to Gunther, but he'd come super close again. And Seamus says, "I need one more match, one more challenge, because I know I can beat you." And Gunther should lay down the law. You know, it's usually, oh, if you don't beat me, you have to retire or whatever. Or you can't challenge again. You can't challenge me again. I would have Gunther's rule be, if you can't win this match, you can't ever challenge for the Intercontinental title again. So therefore, you will never be able to complete. Even after I've lost the title, you cannot challenge anyone for this title ever again. You can challenge for any other title. You cannot challenge for the Intercontinental title. And so therefore, you can have Sheamus win it. Gunther wins the series 2-1, loses the last match. So therefore, you can push Gunther up a step. Because I do think... Well, I think the general sense now, like we said, he's shown that he can still be the bullying, overwhelming heel, even against someone who's his physical equal. Mm. So the dream match I think everyone wants to see now will be him against Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see how we get there. Obviously, because there's a group of them, part of me was in my head going, they're both heels, so you couldn't really put him against Roman. But Roman's, uh, whoever dethrones Roman... You can turn Gunther face for the sake of that feud. That's not a problem. And Seth Rollins was a heel when he faced him at the Royal Rumble. That's less of an issue now with WWE, I think, in general. Or in... Ring general. Hey. One of the interesting things about Gunther actually is that, and we've said this before, he feels like he's almost from another era, or insofar as you could drop him into any era of wrestling and he would have worked. And he would have particularly worked within the Luthez era of wrestling. Even then, he would have been perfect in that world, and he probably wouldn't have had to have slimmed down if he wanted to. But you could imagine him coming over to America and challenging. I could imagine him trading with Jumbo Saruta. Uh, King's Road style. Although, well, that's the funny thing about it, though, because whilst he does have that sensible look and he does have that throwback style, and it's literally called, like, a as old school as it gets, insofar as there is nothing fancy about pretty much any of the moves in this match. It's all grounded. There's there's the most advanced move in the match is a powerbomb, I suppose. Yeah, he does do a drop kick. Yeah, but... That, again, these are moves that were done literally in the 1950s. You know, Luthez literally invented the powerbomb. You're not seeing any sky-flying twister presses. You're not seeing any Canadian destroyers in this match. Yes, this, this is very much a gear change from uh, the Osprey of fun. Yeah, this is the stuff that people... The people who hated the previous five-star match, if it was like everything that they hated about wrestling, in theory, this could be everything they love about wrestling but only in theory because i do think again it's i don't know if i've recounted this before because who's the person that that you said that they give the shout out like literally show him in the crowd to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the well it wasn't exactly the 30th anniversary but you know it's close to it there's bret hart in the crowd getting what sounded like a huge reception yeah yes yeah it was a very huge reception i can confirm could you tell 
him from the crowd? Could you see where he was? Or? No, no. Later the, on, the I cameras could... didn't know where Davy Boy's family was because they never got even a shot. Yeah. On the Although I did see his daughter the next day in the superstore taking pictures with the fans. So was that where she'd done her hair like her dad? Yeah, yeah. Because Brett would have hated wrestling Gunther. Mm. Because the thing with Gunther, and to an extent Seamus in general, is pretty much everything they do hurts. Yep. And Brett's policy was always, you should make it look snug, you should make it look good, you should make it look not fake, but you should also not be hurting your opponents. Yep. And that's the opposite of how a Walter match goes. Because famously, like Brett has always hated the chest chops. Mm. He hated them. He told Rick, I tell you what, Rick, Every time you do the chest chop to me, I get to punch you flat in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet Rick still did it. <laughs> so I think Brett would hate working with, with Gunther in that capacity. In that sense, I think he would enjoy it overall. I do think Gunther would adapt if he was in if he was suddenly dropped into the nineteen fifties, he would do just more the mat wrestling stuff and when you watch those Buddy Rogers Luthez matches, there are strikes and this is back when you can't do the closed fist thing and so properly they they they're doing the palm strikes. I mean the palm strikes he hits Seamus with towards the end of this match when they're on the top rope fighting over the who hits it from the top. They were shocked. Like, even Michael Cole was just like, God! Oh, <laughs> the slow-mo camera did a great job this match. Is, is this what wrestling should be? It's like that great line, I can't remember if it was Jim Cornette that said it. I know Terry Funk said a line along the lines of, it's funny... The more you hurt each other, the more money you make. And the more money you make, the more you like each other. But the other one that I've I've heard attributed to Cornette was, we weren't hurting each other and everyone thought it was real. Now they think it's fake and we're all hurting each other. Yeah. Do I have a set style that I prefer? Uh, Probably. In my gut, did I enjoy this match more than any of the Osprey fun? I think I can't honestly answer that question because we've had to cover so many Will Ospreay matches in the last two years. Whereas this sticks out, this is different. So it's hard for me to give a nuanced answer to that. Well, I can't say I didn't love this match. I did, but at times I am also like, fuck me what they're having to do to themselves. And if wrestling is meant to not hurt... I mean, if you look at it this way... Outside, the, the funny thing is, the move that looked the worst, as in the least painful, was probably the most painful, which was Gunther's screwed up powerbomb. Yeah. Where Sheamus landed tailbone first. Yeah. And because he didn't do the full flat back bump, it doesn't make the loud sound on the mat. Instead, he just got kind of a dull thud. But everyone knows that, you know, if you take that... everyone Everyone's falling on their ass slightly wrong. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I remember someone... Because I'd always thought I didn't really want to ever learn to be a wrestler because I always thought I don't have a high pain threshold. I've never been in a real fight in my life. But even then, because there was this other lad that went to the same British wrestling show that I did. His name was Ted. Yeah. And he was in our year. And he then did join there for like wrestling training. He became Ted Tosterone. That was (laughs) the wrestling name. That's good, that. Yeah. And... He like did sort of behind me. He did like a gut, like um, a waist lock to do like a waist lock takedown. Yeah, but he sort of lifted me up and dropped me, and I landed ass first on the floor, and I was in so much pain, and I was like, I can't, I could never do it. I, that's been my first experience of a bump. Yeah, and it was too much for like, me. Not for me, thank you. Not for me at all. And what's funny, though, is that that lower back pain is then played up throughout the rest of the match. But I guess it was supposed to be just the powerbomb that did it to him. Yeah. Because Gunther hits him with the powerbomb again at a late point, so it becomes like that's his target. And then at the end of the match, it's, you know, Seamus going for the brogue kick and his... And it gives out. His lo- yeah. And it's specifically and him specifically putting it on his lower back. Maybe it was meant to be just his back, but he realized from the that powerbomb that he had to emphasize it more that it was like his tailbone that was it. Well, Gunther does explicitly target the lower back with stomps and forearms after the after the first power bomb. Again, was it like were they conversing with each other? It's like I landed on my ass, so like focus more on that. Yeah. You know? but they worked well with it. Mm. At the end of the day, they didn't ignore yeah. it. But you get my point. The irony of the the move that probably hurt the most, yeah, is the one that looked the least that looked like a botch. I think it was probably put in botchamania. 
Yeah, you want your surface area. And Corey was saying, oh, we didn't get all of it. Oh, fuck, you got more than all of it, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if they'd have done that back on the old WWE mats that didn't have, like, any real spring to them. Because that's why Mick Foley said that the second bump in the Hell in the Cell was worse, because those mats, like, the late 90s were just so hard. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. As you were saying, there was discomfort, but by the time it was coming to the end, you've got your This Is Awesome chance, and as they're, like, facing each other off right at the end, the whole crowd's like... Seamus does a brilliant little baby face thing of just turning to look at the crowd, and that encourages them Like, to... drink, feeding off the atmosphere. Yeah. Like, at what point do you think there was that sense of this is something special? Like I said earlier, after he did, like, the, the extended beats of the bell run. But that was, again, that was one of those things of Gunther being able to dish it out but can't take it. He's constantly trying to avoid it. And he does run away, but then, and throws... Because the whole point about him is whenever he's in trouble, he just tries to escape it immediately. Like, he sends Seamus to the outside, he'll slam him on the floor, he'll slam him on the chairs. Or he'll try to beg away at one point when Seamus captures his arm from a chop. And he does do his begging off thing. That's one of the things I always love about Gunther and why you know it works so well in the Dragunov match that when he's finally in trouble, when he's put in that sleeper hold, he taps out almost immediately. The, the great thing of like whenever Brock Lesnar would just suddenly get caught in something and he's in trouble and he's like, I don't like being hit. This isn't how it's supposed to work. And with that one, with the beats of the ball run, he throws him outside into the crowd, but Seamus is able to then grab him and... Over the barricade, yeah. Yeah. And continue it. It's beautiful. Brock against smaller men is always a delightful calf crusher. Well, that's the funny thing about him against Gunther. So Gunther will be the smaller man. So so it would be more like Gunther facing Gunther. It's like, it's like Batman when Catwoman disappears. And he goes, oh, so that's how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of like the feel, we, we did feel it could happen. We generally, That's the vibe I got from No, the I don't mean like the, the title changing. I just the sense that this is a great match. This is a match that, you know would get five stars from a lot of people, including Dave Meltzer. Was there any point where you thought, oh, I could be having to be talking to Lorcan about this match in a in a short while for our podcast listeners? It, it did cross my mind, to be honest. More for the fact it contained Volta stroke Gunther. So the track record in WWE is pretty good. I, but then again, I did fall into the... I, I say fall into the trap. I got swept up in the emotion of the main event. So I was like, ah, oh my God, this is brilliant. Until the, the faff at the end. Well, it's all, it's all um, smoke and mirrors with a lot of Roman Reigns main events and WWE main events in general. This was something with sustenance to it, I suppose. And one of the things, again, that they've allowed Gunther to keep from Walter that I like is that Walter never had a set like finisher. He could win from anything, really. And in you know we beat Pete Dunne with a big splash. He beats um, I can't remember how he beat uh, Ilya in their first match now, but it was like with some like forearm or something. Maybe it was another lariat, but it's not like that's his trademark finisher. And one last thing that Michael Cole said that's like oh my god, Michael Cole, I can't believe he said this word. He described the finishing move as a lariat. Yeah, baby, they're back. They never they've never been there. Yeah. WWE Vince has never called it a lariat. Yeah. The fact he doesn't have a finisher, I think, did catch a lot of people off guard. Even people who probably do watch the product. Because when the finish happened, it was like, oh! Especially because it was a powerbomb, then a lariat. Well, no, it's it's powerbomb, but, like, Sheamus, he does hit a second powerbomb, but then Sheamus does come back into it. Because it's him going to go for the brogue. His back gives out. He's trying to will himself back up. They face each other from the corners mm. and they yell and they charge and Gunther's able to hit the lariat. Yeah. So it's not a powerbomb into a lariat. It's just, you know. But the powerbomb does come quite close to the, the, the lariat. I like how someone described what the difference is between a clothesline and a lariat. Uh, you run into a clothesline, a lariat runs into, into you. you. Like Shingo's pumping bomber. That's hilarious. Stan Hansen's, I've no idea where you are, but wherever you are, you're going to get hit. <laughs> I'm blind! Smash! I'm blind and that's your problem. Yep. Literally <laughs> invaders, guys. Now you know how I feel in a different kind of way. Thank God for his mask, that's all I'll say. <laughs> 
And then Seamus gets his standing ovation as he leaves. That got that got me a little bit in the feels, that did. I was amazed that when he was walking out, fans were trying to slap him on the back. It's like, what have you just seen? <laughs> what did you just see? Piece it together, come on. Ah, what are you going to do? Seamus and now, by the looks of it, the, the brawling brutes in general are super over with the crowd. Yeah, yeah. I think once the, the Butch to Pete Dunne transition is complete, that'd be better. I'm fine with him being called Butch Dunne or something. I think it was Pete. I think at one point recently it's been Pete Butch Dunne. Yeah, that's I'll fine. take that. That's fine. I'll take that. Yeah. That's fine. I guess it probably doesn't help that, you know, when you think Butch, you think Bushwhacker. Yeah. <laughs> also, when you think um, Butch, you think big man. That's my issue with it. Or not even necessarily big man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and Ridge, obviously what happened with Big E is incredibly unfortunate. It was an accident. Ridge is the example of it being about the size more than anything. You know, it's not Trent Seven. It's not Tyler Bate. It's this guy that I don't have any knowledge of. But yeah, I, I just want to quickly go back again. It's really interesting that Gunther's been able to keep that aura with him. I also thought it was interesting that they've gone back to the black and white look, at least for that match. I didn't see what it was. Because they had put him in red. Yeah. Which is like, to be fair to them, the Austrian flag is red and white. So it's not like the most egregious no. thing in the world. And it's not a bad look. Yeah. It's just, I love the simplicity of the black and white. And, I mean, the one thing people are now all dreaming of is, do we get, do we go back to Dvorak, the symphony, instead of whatever it is that he comes out to now? I like the new theme. More than the classical music thing. I just love wrestlers coming out to classical music, I think. I just, I'm I'm a soft spot for it. I know what you mean. It makes them feel like a big deal to me. I think... If he gets like a WWE title shot, maybe bust it back out then. Well, I think that that music as well just fits his character. It fits his character in the same way that thus spoke Zarathusa mm. fit Ric Flair. I never thought Ryder the Valkyrie actually fit Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan that much. It just is what it is. I'm not against it. Well, Europe want too much money. That's the problem, isn't it, really? I, I hope it comes back. And again, because they brought so much of it back, I don't care about him being called Walter. Gunther's fine by me. And, you know, Ludwig Kaiser, great. I think he does a good job as his introducer. Mm. You know, he's like he's a, And he's a good guy. And, and I do think it works better as a trio. Yes. Don't bother with Alexander Wolfe. You're fine with how it is. Mm. And yeah, I'm excited for what Gunther can do in WWE. When this reigns over, I don't think it has to be the end of him. No, I, I don't think it will be. Again, it's going to be one of those things. How does Triple H keep him being presented as something special? Because even in NXT, he was still kind of that special attraction. No, because he was like that one thing on NXT UK, and no one was paying attention to NXT UK, but you'd drop in when there's a Walter match, you know? But you won't watch a Walter Angle, necessarily. But he, he's always got... He, you know, he was good on the mic for, his, for a man speaking in a different language. He's got a fantastic look. He's always had a fantastic look. Even when he's not had the physique that Vince would love, he's, I've always thought it suited him. I don't think he's lost a lot with this. Because, you know, you want to give an example. Did you remember, do you remember Birchall? Paul Birchall? Yeah. When he debuted, he was like immediately, like his first match on FWA was like, he was presented as a Goldberg-esque here. Because there was no one in, in the UK scene, again, that, that looked like him. That was his size. And had, you know, he could do all these big moves and that. But then he gets signed up to the WWE and you put him in there and he just does not look like anything special compared to everyone else. Becomes a pirate. And then he becomes a pirate. I think he's a fireman now. Oh, like okay. Not like as a gimmick. I think he's a genuine fireman. Oh, like Scotty Tehotty. Yeah. I wonder if instead of going down the pole, he still has a rope. <laughs> That'd be nice. Uh, you never know. I don't know if he's part of a great fire brigade community of uh, Christians, Jews and miscellaneous you're referencing something there and i'm not sure what christian jew or miscellaneous hindu there are over 300 oh, million of... yeah 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 <laughs> sorry wow i missed a simpsons reference that hurts i win <laughs> 
I was like, don't make me do the offensive accents. He doesn't do the offensive accents anymore. No, he doesn't. Because Meltz gave it five stars, and I think he even said something that rattled some people where he said this is one of the greatest WWE matches ever. Not just like, you know. But because he's only given like seven WWE, if you don't count NXT matches, five stars, in in Meltzer's mind, he has. Yeah. For me, I think it would probably get in the top 100. I don't know if it would get in the top 50. I loved it. I would go four and a half, four and three quarters on it, personally. You? I'm going the full five. Oh, he's such a bloody slut. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it, it was just great, hard-hitting brutality. That, partly because, it, as well, you were live, so it felt special in that. Because that was one thing I did ask you. Um, has Sami Zayn, Shinsuke Nakamura now been dislodged as your favourite live wrestling match? Obviously, I'm trying to negate recency bias. It would be a very close call. Because I I said that would be a five as well. So So it's one and two at the very least. You just don't know which order they're in yet. I mean, I don't even know if I would say it's my favourite Sheamus match. Because, you know, we've already spoken of our love of the Daniel Bryan-Sheamus match. And that was an example of Sheamus still playing the underdog babyface against a much smaller than than either he or Gunther wrestler. There's, uh, again, there's a reason Daniel Bryan likes Masanobu Fushi. Shithousery is elite. Well, we, when we rewatched it, we were like, oh my god, this is a Fushi tribute act. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I always loved the stuff he did with the bar. I think that's an underrated yeah. tag team. I think he said um, recently in an interview, the bar reignited his love for wrestling. He was, he was, he felt really like Ugh, about it until the bar came along. But I think he's always been a reliable hand. He gave himself an interesting, genuinely unique look, you know? Everyone gets tanned. He goes, well, I'm going to do the literal opposite of that. Yes, he has a wrestling move called the Great White, and I'm like, you shouldn't call anything that (laughs) in this context. But he kept himself viable for all the nonsense of his actual runs with the title being, you know, his three runs with the WWE Championship were tied up with fucking his fluke win in the first place, the nexus and him running away from them in the second instance, and then him being as Roman Reigns and having the League of Nations and all that nonsense. Yep. And, of course, he was in the post-WrestleMania 29 Raw with Randy Orton where they had to take it all, but... I can see why Vince always saw him as a reliable hand. I don't know. I'll be curious to see how he stacks up in the future. So if we are coming towards the end of his run, then I'm glad that he got some more kudos than a lot of online fans would have probably ever wanted or thought they would give him. But anyway, at time of recording, that was the last of the five-star matches. Are there, is there going to be another one next week? You'll know before we do. But if there isn't, We're finally going to do that episode that we told you about. We've got most of it in the can, but bloody hell, the the online issues we were having at that time. So you are going to get the Ringside Accomplices episode of Let Me Tell You Something at some point. If everything goes right, then it will be on. Or or wrong as well, if we don't get another five-star match in the next two weeks. I mean, what's the point of even watching (laughs) wrestling if we don't get that? Well, Grand Slam was this week as of time of recording, so... If everything went well but not well enough, then the Ringside Accomplices episode will be the October 6th episode of Let Me Tell You Something. As always, card is subject to change. But anyway, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, about how they can find out more about your travels, your travails, and your recommendations for slightly less popular but slightly better hipster franchise beer companies ah, i'm 43 mm-hmm. how can they do so that was a very deliberate dig at someone uh they can get in touch with me on twitter where i'm so known as simon cross free free for the number of pints i drank in that stadium my name's Lorcan mullen that's l-o-r-c-a-n-m-u-l-l-a for aberystwyth n for newport that's my twitter handle instagram facebook letterbox if you put in at gmail.com at the end of it that's my email address get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com lmtyspod is also our twitter and facebook handles but there's nothing left to say at this point except fear you ear you Lorcan mullen and my name's simon cross <laughs> Diochamadial in a duod ripwet.
Rithic, Kailam Sapum Seran, Danitronesa. Yeah. 